and welcome once again to Radio Brews News, the podcast that's made by summer. As ever, I'm joined by my good friend, executive producer, co-host, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, uh, now, I, I do have to say, Pete, you're coming to us from the uh, outside broadcast van today. Yes, Matt, that's right. I could actually hear you. I just thought I'd, do, I'd just put in that little time lapse just to make it sound like it was a little bit more technical. <laughs> you, 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 you did have me uh, having thinking that we'd, the hamster had fallen off the wheel already. <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have, yeah, we, we should have talked about that in uh, pre-production. Um, yeah, no, our first live cross, I think, really, for, um, did do a live cross from an even greater distance from me, but probably almost a closer distance to you when I was in Cairns. Uh, but I think that was part of the original Brendan Varus interview. So this is technically the first, um, live cross that we've done. And I'm down here, beautiful, sunny. It's 31 degrees or so, not a puff of wind. Uh, hello, ladies. Uh, yeah, I'm down here at the beach at Phillip Island, uh, on, uh, uh, Western Port Bay down in Melbourne. It is just, it's absolutely magnificent. It's, um, it's just, just lovely. Watch out for those penguins down there. We're a little bit away from the penguins and it's a little bit early, a little bit midday-ish for them at the moment. So yeah, they've got to catch them early or, or late. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's lovely. It's good to be joining you. Um, it, it certainly, I won't say that the technology for Radio Brews News has advanced, but the hamsters put on a little bit of weight. <laughs> Now, yes, um, we 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 actually recorded this show, the the show itself, last week uh, when we spoke to AG. So uh, that's coming up in just a second. But we decided to uh, put off the intro until after the weekend. We're recording this today on Monday, the twenty third of January, um, because we wanted to be able to do a quick wrap up of the uh, Ballarat Beer Festival, the inaugural Ballarat Beer Festival that you yeah. uh, headed up to. That's it. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday the 21st of January, we'll go down in history as the inaugural Ballarat Beer Festival. Uh, a marvellous time was had by all. Uh, still waiting, I'm, I'm going to have a chat to uh, to some of the organisers and get all my ducks in a row in terms of the, the numbers and that sort of thing. But certainly anecdotal evidence and, and, and visual evidence on the day suggests that uh, it was much better patronised than, um, than they had expected. The There was something around 3,000 in pre ticket sales, uh, to the point where, look, it, it was so good, it was so well organised, and um, and I will do a, a more lengthy sort of wrap-up of it, but, but let's just say everyone had a ball, and by four o'clock, we were just about having to reprint the programs uh, to rename the festival the True South Grid Road Brewers Beer Festival, because they were about the only ones who had any beer left of the uh, 20-odd uh, really? exhibitors. A lot of them, um, yeah, a lot of them were, a lot of them were, and we're talking, we're talking some big names. I won't, um, sort of, you know, I, I don't want to name and shame, uh, but yeah, some of, some of, some of the, the, the bigger brewers who, who do these festivals all the time, and, and just in all honesty, we're just, well, hang on, we were given these numbers, we were, you know, it's a one day event, this, that, and the other, we thought we had plenty, uh, there were queues 30 deep at every single, I shouldn't say every single brewer, um, but, but but pretty much all at all times through the day, at all of the uh, the tents there were you know queues up the wazoo. Patient they were um, there were there were people I, I sat there watching people come up to a, a beer tent, grab themselves a, a, a sample, have a you know thanks very much, bit of a chat to the brewer or whatever, and then return straight to the back of the line, drink their sample, and then say okay now what's the other beer you got on? Wow. So that that was the kind of feel that, that it was. It was just but it was a it, it was just a it was people soup. There were just um, crowds, but but really nice flow 
a really good field. There, look, as with anything, you, you, there's no way that you're going to nail something um, 100% the first time. So there are a couple of little issues that I'm sure the organisers um, will appreciate the feedback on. Okay, we, we, we might uh, just uh, no quickly... We, we, we might quickly go through some of those things. Now, I, I saw that the sold-out sign went up um, on, on Twitter, so obviously they sold around about 3,000 pre-sold, but they ended up getting about 5,000, I gather? I believe 5,000 was capacity. I uh, Unofficial, unconfirmed, but not make it up. Uh, the, the number 7,000 is, is, is possibly... Uh, Close to the mark. Wow! Um, certainly, when 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 the the bus from the local tap house with uh, forty two very eager uh, beer drinkers arrived, they um, they actually ushered us around. They're looking to park around the corner. We'll meet you up there with a with a box of um, you know lanyards, tasting glasses, and, and wristbands. We'll sort you guys out there. There's actually there was a probably a two hundred meter queue um, to get in at that point. So they sorted us all out. We all went in, um, and it was at that point. Uh, if you hadn't, if you didn't already have a ticket, it was look, join the queue, take your take your chances, and it was the nightclub principle of you know two two in two out. Wow. So uh, the, the the three thousand may have been the uh, that was the pre-sold um, estimate, and I think a lot of the brewers may have uh, perhaps understood that 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 was the uh, either the capacity or that was what the expectation. So they possibly under allowed by in some cases you know around about half. Well, wow. and now I've heard that the vibe was great. The organisers were very well organised. They had volunteers out with sunscreen. You know, it, things ran um, pretty smoothly. The food was good. The band was good. Um, what, what were the highlights for you, or what, what did you notice that showed that it was a, a well organised festival? Uh, look, a couple of things. One, a lot of people come up from Melbourne. Um, I believe a few people came down from Sydney as well, which was terrific. But there were obviously also a lot of locals. There were a lot of people there who, for the first time, were probably getting into this whole what's you know what's the deal with this craft beer thing. Um, and I can tell you that some of the more popular, uh, surprisingly popular um, brews, which really I think for me made for um, uh, you know highlights of the festival, were things like. Um, the Sirachi Kolsch from Mornington Brewery, the um, the Summer Kolsch from um, True South. Um, let's see, we had oh, the Bridge Road Pale Ale was just walking out the door. Mountain Goat Steam, uh, that blew, uh, and I felt a little bit guilty, uh, about five five um, samples after uh, Tom Delmont looked after me with one uh, um, out through the back of the tent. Because, uh, I, I, of course, you know, through Brews News, I was lucky enough, and I should give a shout-out to the, the organisers, that, uh, you know, a, a very nice VIP pass for me, um, which probably didn't mean that I had to join the queues, but it, did, it just couldn't mean that I could wander around behind the tents and just sort of say hi and do a, a few little interviews and, and, and bits and pieces. But that, for me, Matt, the highlight, I reckon, was just the fact that there were a lot of people there drinking a lot of beer and enjoying it that they perhaps did not think they would ever enjoy. Great. Okay, now uh, you, you mentioned that there are a few things that could possibly have been a little bit slicker um, in, in, in its first year. What, what did you notice there? Well, the whole, the whole event, and, and one of the highlights was the fact that it was a, a token-only uh, economy. So you, your tokens were your currency. Now with your uh, 35 bucks for your uh, entry ticket, got you your tasting glass, it got you your entry, it got you a handbook, and it got you five tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think possibly what a lot of people didn't realise was that um, you needed tokens for, you know, bottled water for, um, you know, a, 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 a big shout out to the uh, Ballarat Rotary Club. 
I, I lived on the sausage. All I had all day for food was just, I just kept going back for rotary sausages. So they, those guys just did a terrific job. Um, and look, it was weather-wise, a uh, bit overcast early. The clouds parted. It was a beautiful warm day. And yet that's when the, when the sunscreen came out. So uh, well done to those guys for, for, for thinking that far ahead. Uh, got a little bit cool and a bit breezy in the afternoon. But, um, but as I say, the, the, the crowds were terrific. It was, it was really well run. The, the tokens probably uh, needed to be... Uh, they had a big token tent, so you go and then buy more tokens. Uh, but it just meant that early on, there were sort of some fairly large queues there that they sort of had to deal with. So maybe they could have split that up or, or maybe um, you, know, you had an option of buying your entry ticket with your complimentary five tokens, but you could buy an upgrade pack, you know, with another 20 in it or something like that. And the tokens were worth uh, $1.50, I think. And that got you a 100ml sample. Two, two of the tokens got you a, a full glass sample um, at, at, or, you know, a couple of sausages or, um, you know, gourmet burgers. There was Indian, there was Vietnamese, you know, whatever you wanted. The only issue probably that, that probably needed to be addressed was the, um, the water situation. Um, perhaps a little bit more access to to water. But as I say, for a first up effort, um, that's probably something that they consider in the future. Well, look, I mean, if, if they've sold out um, a, you know, 5,000 person venue and, you know, oversight and, you know, had the nightclub principle going uh, for a big part of the day, it's obviously been a huge success numbers wise. So I suspect that there'll be a back next year and people will want to go back uh, to, to see how it develops. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and as I say, the, the, the vibe was just sensational. There was, um, uh, look, there was there was one bogan dust-up, um, and that was about it. But, uh, and that was, you know, just a, a couple of blokes with, you know, you know, heads tucked into the chest and um, throwing windmills um, <laughs> until the two sort of met. And then eventually one landed and, you know, the other guy lost interest, and that was all over fairly soon. Um, but, you know, security were onto that, and it was, you know, that, that, that was no drama. Um, I haven't heard from my, um, my correspondents yet about how the D-line train home was, as we um, intimated when we were talking with Simon Coughlin earlier on, uh, late, late last year. It was either going to be the noisiest train ride home or the quietest. <laughs> uh, I suspect it may have been the latter. Uh, much singing and much merriment. Hopefully it was all uh, good behaviour, though. Um, Prof, look, I'll let you get back to the beach in, in your holiday. Um, thank you very much for... Uh, giving us the uh, up-to-the-minute um, review of the festival. Uh, we've already posted a little piece from Dermot Dowling, who was out there with the family. So we're going to post a couple of, uh, you know, beer is a conversation, and it's a uh, conversation of many points of view. So we're going to run a couple of different uh, um, stories about it, seeing we had a number of correspondents there. But thank you for giving us the uh, the, the, the phone-in version. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get that up. That's um, all, mate. And I, I do... Just on that, I do need to give Dermot a shout out and an apology because I didn't ca- I didn't um, catch up with him on the day and I didn't get his uh, direct message because it came through my email, which I didn't have connected to my phone because I'm a not a theodolite. What's the other one? A luddite. Uh, troglodyte. Luddite. A luddite. That's the one. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say trilobite was going to be my next one, but that's kind of like a <laughs> bug, isn't it? Well, but you are a bit of a fossil. Um, and. <laughs> I've heard that. Hey, I resemble that remark. Um, so, yeah, so Dermot, I, I, I didn't brush you off, mate. I just didn't get your message until I got back home. Uh, and then I've headed straight down to the beach where I don't have uh, internet access either. So um, uh, we shall catch up at the next one. Uh, and, and just on that, you know, to Simon and Timbo, to Lyndall, to um, Sarah and Greta 
uh, and the other guys who organised, I think there were six, so I might have missed one of the, the main organising body, and my apologies to whoever I've missed. Um, big pats on the back, and um, I'll have a beer for you now, in your honour, because that was a, a terrific first-up effort. Well, while you're uh, down at the beach, I might even uh, see if we can't get Simon on uh, next week um, and just do a little bit of an organiser's follow-up, um, you know, quick 10 minutes on next week's show to, to, to follow up and see what they think and see what their plans are for next year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And because, look, there were, there were a lot of Radio Brews news fans um, up at the festival. Uh, they'd love to hear from Simon what it was like because, um, look, to be honest, <laughs> there's probably a few gaps in their memory of the day. <laughs> well, I, I did get uh, last week's episode up just in time for the long train trip in the, the bus ride out to Ballarat. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, get, well, this one will go up. And as we promised, hopefully we're going to be very regular this year. That's right. And then through the magic of technology, um, just after this short break, we're going to be talking to uh, Andrew Gow, and I'll be magically back in the uh, Melbourne studios. Excellent, Prof. You enjoy your holiday. Look forward to catching up next week. Mate, I shall. All the best. And yes, as Prof indicated there, we'll, uh, we have an interview that we're about to run with Andrew Gow from Mornington Brewery that we recorded earlier. Uh, but in the meantime... Uh, after speaking with Prof to record that intro and before sitting down to actually get around to editing it, uh, Forex released a new beer this week under the uh, Forex Summer brand, Forex Summer Cloudy Ginger Beer. And given that by coincidence, I'd started this podcast with the tagline from their uh, national campaign the, uh, that has been appearing everywhere uh, over the summer. It seemed too good an opportunity not to speak to Forex uh, about their new beer and just find out a little bit more about Forex Summer. Beer is a broad church, not just a conversation. So we thought we would speak to Brent Wright, the National Beer Systems Manager. Uh, I'll run that interview and Andrew Gow will join us just after this. And joining me now is Brent Wright, the National Beer Systems Manager for Forex. But Brent is also a former brewer for Forex and he's going to tell us a little bit about the new summer cloudy ginger beer that Forex has brought out this week. Brent, uh, welcome to Radio Brews News. Uh, thanks, Matt. It's uh, nice to be here. Now, the Summer Cloudy Ginger Beer, do you want to tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, well, she's, uh, it's, it's a very uh, contemporary type beer. It's, uh, it certainly uh, is a beer-based ginger beer. So it's got every recipe ingredient that a normal beer has, in terms of mulch, a little bit of sugar, a bit of hops, and, uh, and it's got the the uh, ginger infusion at the uh, filtration entrance gives it that nice ginger beer flavour. I guess that was my uh, first surprise when uh, earlier in the year there'd been a, earlier in the summer there'd been quite a few um, imported ginger beers, you know, which were the more traditional brewed ginger beer um, come out. When I saw the media release come across my desk, I was expecting something along those lines, you know, something like a ginger equivalent of a cider. But this is a a, a beer um, with with a ginger infusion, a little bit like a, a Rattler or a, one of the um, fusion beers that we had a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, and it's you know it's part of the Forex uh, family, so it's Forex's beer. So. Well, I'm, I'm going to have a bit of a chat to the. Uh, I won't put you on the spot talking about the marketing side of things because um, I think I'm going to be speaking to somebody from the Forex marketing team about the uh, use of the the brand. But yep. do you want to tell me a little bit about how the ginger gets in there? Now, the media release, uh, again, says that it's made with natural ginger. Yep. We source the natural, uh, naturally uh, sourced ginger extract. And uh, we basically bring the, the base through as a normal beer, uh, as we would a normal beer, sorry. And then we, we add the natural 
uh, ginger extract at the filtration stage for a dosing system. We also add a little bit of lime concentrate to give it a bit of tartness, which is naturally extracted, of course. So, uh, it, and that uh, just balances the flavour. Uh, so, yeah, so that's all it is. It's just basically uh, adding that infusion at the filtration end. Okay, so that's post-filtration you, you add it, um, and then the beer goes through the usual pasteurisation and uh, packaging. Correct. And that, and that infusion is actually giving it the light cloud that it hay. Okay. It's good. Now, with... With ginger extract, that comes in in a liquid form, does it? So it's not uh, a, a team of brewers standing over the the tanks with a microplane and uh, some fresh ginger or anything. No, no, it's it's bought as a uh, as a liquid ingredient. It's is uh, uh, so specifically purchased for that reason. We don't we don't create the ginger extract. Okay. I mean, there's, there's processes that have to be followed and hygienic standards have to be maintained and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd rather make beer than ginger extract. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah. uh, now the media release also says that it's free from artificial additives and preservatives. Now, that's something that always uh, confuses me a little bit um, about the terminology because I remember a couple of years ago, Lion brought out the natural beer promise and you had a very high um, standard for beers like Forex and uh, um, the, 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 the Forex Gold, but the the and that included the use of pelletized hops um which were regarded as natural if i've got that right but um because this is in clear bottle i'm presuming that this uses a, a hop extract um it does matt it does okay so so that's a, a it's not artificial but then it doesn't quite meet the test to be all natural is that Correct. Uh, look, the, the the hop extracts are produced using liquid CO2. Yep. So there's no change to the hop extract. So it's basically you're extracting as if you put it in a pot and boil it up like we do the um, the the uh, ginger. So it's where you draw the line as uh, not art uh, artificial. And uh, to me, a hop extract is as natural as you'll find. Okay, but... we, chose, we chose at that point, obviously, to to deem that we wanted natural hops just for the when I say natural hops, the time the pelletized hops. Yep. Um, for that reason, that you know, this is a we've shifted away from the natural beer promise, and we've uh, defined this as acceptable under that criteria. Fair enough. Okay, now the tetra hops that you use make it light stable for for the clear bottles. Is that correct? That's the yes. That's what you'll find in any clear bottle. Uh, matters the tetra hop with the extracted hops, because there is a change. The light strike character in that process of extraction gets, for want of a word, nullified. Yep. So the UV can't hit that light unstable component and damage it. So, and without you know, the first one in the market was obviously um, Corona or Miller's Light. You know, they, they you go back that far and. Uh, and basically, hop extracts are using just that. You know, it's a nice economical way to handle hops, really, when you think about it. And, and I, I mean, I believe even Coopers, uh, in, in even though they use brown bottles, they use it because it's uh, it, it's got something to do with their their yeast. So it, it's certainly commonly available. And with clear bottles being a one of the prime marketing aspects of the the summer bright lager, I guess you can't get away with uh, not using them. Well, if you put natural hops or not, what's the same natural? <laughs> 
uh, unprocessed, you put uh, the the leaf hop into a, even if you only use a portion, you'll still get that light strike character. And it's very objectionable. So you've got to be very, very diligent. And you're right, most brewers now are using hop extracts. There's two reasons, too. The, the, the hops actually has an antiseptic effect. So it actually aids the uh, hygienic status of your yeast. So any bacteria can't grow and stuff like that. So it does help. And that's what Coopers are saying. It's uh, very good for, because yeast actually concentrates the hop extract. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so inside a yeast cell, you might you know, might have fermented a beer of say 15 bitterness units. Inside the yeast cell that you take off there could be 30, 40. So it's it's interesting. That's and, uh, uh, that is sorry? exactly the way they explain it to me. That's uh, and <clears throat> so I, I, and I didn't realise that the uh, the hop extracts had the same preservative quality as uh, natural hops. Well, it's, it's the same. Okay. All you've done is converted converted the uh, extracted the that component that provides that uh, that uh, antiseptic and the bitterness and the aroma, and it's in a liquid form, not in a, a ground up leaf form. And does it go into the brew at the same stage as a as a pellet would, or is does it give you more flexibility of being able to add it, for example, post uh, post fermentation, for example? It does. It gives you the flexibility to put it. You put some in the brew house because so you want that presence for that ability, that antiseptic. And you could put it all if you chose to in at the filtration end, but for that yeast uh, stability and that sort of role it plays, you put some in the grass and you can then exact, uh, bring you measure it and then you top it up to an exact amount so you get that consistency and flavour and bitterness throughout your bright beer. But there's one other aspect or benefit of the hop extract. It creates a much more stable foam in the beer. How, how does the base beer differ from the um, summer bright lager that uh, has been everywhere this summer? Oh, look, it's uh, very, very similar. It's using uh, malt, majority of malt, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of darker. Uh, we're using a bit of Munich malt, I understand, for, for the colour and flavour and a little bit of roasted malt to give it the, the base colour. So it's, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's a very similar recipe. Okay. Okay, and it, it, I guess it's really for the uh, the marketing guys to explain the the thinking behind bringing out a uh, cloudy ginger beer. Yeah, well, it's a contemporary market. You know, the, the people that they're targeting, which is the eighteen to twenty five or thirty five, they they really are looking for a difference. They're looking for to experiment and you know, to have something like this as part of the forex portfolio is uh, quite revolutionary, really, for for for. for a brand like Corex, so it's going to be very interesting. So and yeah, that was something quite a limited release, I'd say. Yeah, I'd suspected that it was uh, flying the flag, you know, running a um, test balloon up, see how it went, with a view to maybe bringing it out as something a little bit more regular next year. They may do. No, I mean, it's a good idea to test the market. Yep. But again, but, uh, the, the other thing I should have forgot to mention too, Matt, was that the difference between uh, the process difference, a little well, significant one, is they. They've got a very slow, low fermentation, but like a, a, um, a pale ale. Like uh, it's it's low temperature and long fermentation, so you get those natural esters building up. Yep. Like a pale ale. Yep. Rather than a lager fermentation, which is normally a bit warmer and a bit quicker. So that's the comp to sort of sort of complement with the ginger and give it a quite a uniqueness, I suppose. Excellent. Okay, Brett. Look. Thank you very much for, for joining us so we can have a bit of a chat about the, the, the new beer from Sunbright Lager. It's certainly um, 
something that everyone has seen nationally this year. Um, and it's, it's always interesting to find out a little bit about some of these beers that we see uh, you know, on billboards around Australia. Well, you know, in Queensland you need refreshment and that's what it's targeted to. Hence the success of Summer Brighton for its goal, it's brewed refreshing. And the other thing, it doesn't linger on your palate, which is good. Uh, Brent, thank you very much for, for joining us. Pleasure. And that was Brent Wright, National Beer Systems Manager for Forex, talking about the new beer from Forex, the Forex Summer Cloudy Ginger Beer. I'm not sure all of our listeners would agree that a beer that doesn't linger on the palate is necessarily the best one, but it was certainly interesting to hear how a beer like uh, the the new one from Forex is made and some of the techniques they use to get it in the bottle and uh, get it in a clear glass bottle. Um, Now, we promised you an interview with Andrew Gow from Mornington Brewery, so let's get on and uh, speak to Andrew right now. And yes, today we're joined by the head brewer at the Mornington Brewery, Andrew Gow. Now, Andrew's a Apart from being a, a great brewer, he's been around the uh, ridges for a long time, so he's an interesting guy to speak to. Um, so, look, without any further ado, uh, let's welcome Andrew Gow to Radio Brews News. Andrew, g'day. G'day, Matt. G'day, Pete. How are you going? G'day, AG. Now, should that be AG? You, you seem to be... I, I, I get, yeah, probably AG. That's what I've kind of known as, isn't it? AG. Okay. Well, AG, welcome to uh, Radio Brews News. And mate, Yeah, so you, you, you've been at Mornington Brewery for, what, about... 12 months now, 18 months? Yeah, about 15 months. We opened um, 1st of October 2010, so coming up to 16 months. How's that been going? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, the reception we've got for the for the venue and the beers has been um, pretty overwhelming, to be honest. Um, it's a really nice space down here. Uh, I think a lot of the shareholders have been quite surprised how quickly um, we've attracted punters through the door and you know, how sales are going and things like that. So they're all very happy and stoked and, you know, way ahead on projections in that regard. But, no, I mean, we're a little bit off the beaten track, so we're more a destination. So early on it was a little bit of a slow build, but now we're pretty well known down here. So, um, you know, we're getting a lot of people through the door. We're open through the week. So, no, it's going really, really well. I guess uh, you, you, you threw out the shareholder word uh, fairly early. I guess tell us a little bit about the background to, to the craft brewery. Shareholders is something that, Maybe the, the average guy sitting at home thinking, you know, a relatively small brewery down in Mornington Peninsula, it's, they automatically think of the, you know, passionate brewer that's, you know, you know the, the, the passionate beer guy that's thrown all of his money and mortgaged the house to, to get it. What's the story with uh, Mornington Brewery? Well, I mean, I suppose the, the structure of shareholding in different breweries would probably alter. I mean, here we have 19. Matt, Matt Beebe is the um, general manager, so it's basically him and I running the business. And we have 19 shareholders in total. Now, um, with the way ours is set up, Matt um, only really has to go to the shareholders if he's spending a certain amount of money. So once he goes over a certain amount of money, we have to get a bottling line, etc. Then he has to go to the shareholders. And they've been fantastically supportive at AGMs. They're, they're always very positive. I mean, Matt usually has good news for them. Well, so far, Touchwood, he's had good news for them. So... There, um, I mean, there's probably a couple. We have marketing meetings uh, once a month, Matt, myself, and three of the shareholders just to discuss where we're headed, sales, um, promotions, you know, advertising, and things like that going forward. But they don't really, in, in a sense, they're, they're secondary to the business. Okay, they they don't intrude at all, um, and like I said, they're very supportive. Now, I don't know, I haven't probably. Well, I know Mountain Goat had a lot of shareholders as well. I wouldn't really comment either way on that. Um, 
and, and I honestly don't know about the, the setup of shareholding in, in minor breweries, but all I know is here they've been fantastic and supportive, and um, they're all really keen to, to keep um, growing the business. So that was one of the, the key planks with um, starting Mornington, that we're always going to be a, a brewery that was looking to expand, to, um, to, to grow the product, um, not to skimp on money, and to keep you know, pushing the beer and, and pushing us as a destination for, for beer lovers. At the risk of being controversial, AG, you do realise that there will be those out there who, now that they know you have shareholders rather than, you know, a, uh, a single, uh, poor, hard-working uh, artisan brewer working in a, you know, a darkened space on his own and losing money, that you're not actually <laughs> making craft beer. So you'll need no, to be careful with that. No, well, that's, but, that's me, Pete. That's me. I'm the artisan brewer. I'm very badly paid. That's the only thing I didn't mention. I'm very poorly paid and not looked after. Mate, you, you couldn't the... be worse paid than the host of Radio Brews News. What's that? You couldn't be worse paid than the uh, host of Radio Brews News. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm guessing not. So, I mean, I mean, I fit that category, and then the shareholders are very happy that they don't have to actually fork out much for me. <laughs> you know, just feed me, feed me some bread and water, and I'll, I'll go to work. So, and that's another reason they're very happy. Now, it does show too. I mean, I've, I've met a couple of the. Um, I've met as I. Um, lovingly referred to them the, uh, the proclaimers, <laughs> the, the two brothers. They, they, they sell glasses, that like um, like spectacle frames and that sort of thing. And yeah, I think is it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, right. The Van then, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure they listen to this and uh, know that they're uh, noticed the proclaimers. <laughs> that's it. Oh, well, I met them. I met them over at the at the Wheat Chief over at Adelaide yeah. when we did um, when we did beer wars and got had a, had a good chat to them there. And they're just so passionate. I mean, they don't sort of come across as, you know, sort of all-knowing about beer and that sort of thing, but they've become, obviously, you know, sort of caught up in the in the, the whirlwind that, that, that sometimes is craft beer. And, and look, without blowing too much sunshine up your skirt, AG, you're a very sort of charismatic sort of bloke, and we've had a few beers together, and I know that, you know, no matter where the conversation goes, it's very easy to get caught up in, like, to share your passion for, um, for what you do. Oh, thanks, Pete. And, um, I mean, the, the Van Staveren um, brothers are great. I mean... They go over to Adelaide quite a bit, and they're continually trying to get our beer in the wheat sheets. So if Joe from the wheat sheets is listening, she is um, a regular yeah, listener. So what? Yeah, yeah. We'll have our putting our beer on them. So they're really passionate, and like a lot of the shareholders, they're very passionate. They they come in here, and you know, most of the probably ninety percent of the shareholders come in come in here and on a frequent or infrequent basis and have a beer. So it's a very, it's almost like a little community, um, you know, which which makes it great because you know you're working. For shareholders that you you know you pretty much count as friends, so you know it's it's just a it's really it's a nice Matt Matt Beeb has created a very nice atmosphere. He's a great guy to work for or with, um, and he's 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 very good with people too. So I mean, even with the opening of the, I came down in um, I think it was April 2010 and met Matt, you know, regarding the job, and he said to me then, oh, I came out and saw the plant. It was not much more than a shell. And he said to me, well, we want to be opened on the 1st of October. And I thought to myself, wow, that's pretty ambitious. But sure enough, with his dealing with people and, you know, especially the tradies who we got all on side, we did open on Friday the 1st of October with, I think, three or four beers on tap. So, no, in, in that sense, it's been, it's been with, with two years of very hard work beforehand, before I got here, it's been reasonably smooth from, from opening day other than a, a couple of minor glitches. And that's probably a nice segue into uh, how to, does that compare to some of the other uh, brewery setups that you've, you've worked in. It might be a good time to sort of tell us the AG brewing story. Okay. Well, um, I literally fell into brewing in uh, 2000. Um, 
uh, with Mountain Goat. So um, I knew, well, I, I heard through actually Dave's sister that they were looking for someone to train up. So that was, I think, early 2000, and I went and met Cam and Dave and um, worked for them for eight years. So that was, I was their first employee. I think I went in at batch number 38. We all knew afterwards what batch number we were up to. So I came in at batch 38, so that was... You know, Cam had come down and say, hey, gee, we've, we've uh, just sold two cases of Hightail. So I'd basically get the cases and have a, a, a roll of, um, <clears throat> pardon me, of stickers on the top of a keg and I'd, I'd label, hand label all the beers and 15 minutes later tell Cam that he's got two cases that, he, that are ready to go, ready to deliver. So, we, you know, we didn't even have a, a labeler at all. It was very, very hands-on manual work. Um, so I was with them for eight years, so... In a sense, I was there, right? To me, I probably see Mountain Goat as the, I mean, I think they get called by Crafty, calls them the godfathers of the microbrewing scene in Victoria. And you really did feel at that time that you're on the on the cusp of something that was really organically growing and and becoming very important to a lot of Melbourne Melbourne people. You know, especially with things like the Friday nights in Crown Street. And you know, we'd sell 15 kegs of beer and running them through so quickly through um, Temprite that. You know, the, the beer was barely even cold. There'd be lines of people 15 deep waiting for the toilet. But amongst all that, people didn't complain. They realised that it was something really special that they were a part of. Um, so it was a really great time and a great entry point for me. I spent eight years there um, and watched them grow and move over to North Street, um, which if I think a lot of people listening will probably know. Um, Crown Street is the street back from North Street. So we're basically just on a forklift. Basically, the moving involved just putting a lot of the tanks on a forklift and taking them in the back entrance to the brewery. <laughs> so in that sense, the move was quite easy. And it was fun too because over the course of, I can't remember, it was probably six months of building being done, you go over every day or every couple of weeks and see the changes and you know this, this empty shell of a, a warehouse morphing into a brewery. So it was very exciting and, Gam and uh, Dave and Cam had a really you know strong idea of what they wanted to do in terms of knowing how popular Friday nights were, that the bar would be something, you know, a cornerstone of the business, which, I mean, if you're building a brewery now, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, you have to have that. Um, so, yeah, so that was eight years there. I then, <coughs> pardon me, went to Matilda Bay when um, it was almost a transition period there. So Brad was um, up in Byron Bay. They had an open jet, but he was, you know, the business was... Um, I think about to start. Scott Vinton hadn't started at that stage, I don't think. Um, so there was Jeremy, who's now at White Rabbit, and Neil Whitten there. And they asked me to come and basically brew for a few months so they could take holidays. They both hardworking guys, and they hadn't had holidays for a couple of years. So I basically brewed there for about three months. And that was really interesting. I mean, all my knowledge of beer was pretty much, you know, derived from Mountain Goat and from, from Dave. Day of, day of the night and so going there and using a totally different system and, and different ideas about um, how to brew uh, technically and, and, and using different malts and different materials and you know a, a major bottling line with a pasteuriser which I've never obviously never been in a brew with that before um, you know the filtration which at that point in time at Mountain Goat we didn't have a filtration system I don't know if they do now I think they probably do so there was all these different things that I was um, then exposed to that before that hadn't really been part of my vocabulary of, of brewing. That's an interesting and, and so, uh, thing that you um, bring up, though. I'd not realised that you uh, I, I thought you'd gone from the big brewery to the uh, mountain goat, not uh, the other way around. How important is it having 
gone that route, um, and you've obviously learned a lot since then, how important do you think it is for guys wanting to get into brewing to have a bit of technical background or a bit of an understanding before they you know, step in? Or you know, can you do it the way that you've done it um, and, and do it successfully? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, with 12 years down the track, um, I don't. I think it'd be much harder to do it the way I've done it. I mean, I was, like I said, I basically fell into it. So I was right place, right time. Um, with so many courses around now, I mean, I know one of the guys at Bintani is going to do the, is it the Siebel over in America? Yep. So he really wants to get in brewing and he feels he has to do that to get a foot in the door. And there's so many guys who come and brew with me just on a brew day and just really can, oh, look, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll brew for nothing and all this kind of thing. So, it's much harder to do now because there's so many guys out there who have some kind of an education or science background. So I would say that it'll be much harder to do it the way I've done it. Um, but I mean, having said that, I'm sure there's still guys who kind of walk into a brewery, get some work, you know, washing kegs and on the bottling line and, and gradually, you know, work up the ladder to be, to be a, you know, a, a brew day brewer. Um, but certainly it, it, it's a lot harder now. And I mean, if I you know, had my time again, I mean, like we all sometimes wish we could, I would probably, at school and stuff, I would have concentrated more on biochemistry and, and my science. I don't have a science background at all. At school, I was all humanity. So in that regard, I've had to, I've started from a long way back and I've had to, I mean, I've done the IBD module one, so I, I do have, you know, a good basic knowledge now. But you're still behind the eight ball in terms of a lot of the other brewers out there who have a, you know, a really... A really a much better grasp on the science of, of, of brewing than what I do. It's interesting that you, um, you sort of put it in those sort of words because a lot of people have described particularly craft brewing or artisan brewing, small batch brewing, however you want to describe it, as a, a mix of and science. Like it's no good just having the technical side of things. You've also got to have the, I guess, the taste. You've got to have the palate. You've got to have the what would happen if um, what I want to achieve is, which you often can't really sort of get, you know, science is, is kind of a little bit more black and white. Combining the two seems to be the ideal. Oh, look, I couldn't agree more. And I was actually having a conversation with another uh, brewer last night and he was saying that he senses I'm more of a intuitive brewer because I don't have that um, more science, science background to fall on. So I, I, I'm sure I probably... I'm more inclined. I don't like, really like to use the word artisan to describe myself, but probably I'm probably more in that camp than the really strong um, technical science brewer. But um, I, I definitely think you, you, you need to, when there's so many aspects to it, but you need to do a beer and, and then, you know, if it's not it's not exactly where you want it to be, you have to work out, okay, what changes do I have to make to, to get this to where I want to be? And, and even just things like, you know, designing a recipe. And I tend to just, kind of look at it and and I mean obviously I do as much research on the style as I can but then at the end of the day you've got to sit down and look at a recipe and be pretty confident that you're going to get the beer to within 80, 85, 90, 95% of where you want it to be and then after that make your changes but yeah I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably more of an intuitive brewer than a, a heavily you know heavily um, science based one for sure. What were you doing before you got into brewing uh, first up? Uh, well, I mean, originally when I when I met those two, I was just working in a bar. I was working at the George in St Kilda on Fitzroy Street. But before that, I'd studied. I've I've got a degree in um, arts with a focus on media. So I always thought I was actually going to go down the media path and do probably something like you guys are doing right now, like in radio or or, or a journalist or possibly 
Yeah, don't aim so high, yeah. mate. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't overreach. Yeah. Mate, yeah, Small mate, steps, my, mate. My sights are a little bit higher than what you guys are doing, but I, having said that, I love what you guys are doing. So, yeah. But so, I mean, I was a little bit of a journeyman, I, I suppose you'd say, just kind of jumping around and never quite, you know, the old, you know, you're 30 years old and you haven't really settled on a job and, oh, my God, what am I doing with my life? And like I said, I was just lucky enough to I'd pretty much be right place, right time. And uh, so we'll just take a, a step back. And so you were working at the Matilda Bay Brewery. How long did you uh, spend there? I was only three months there. Um, at that time, so it was uh, April, May 2008, I think it was. There wasn't much work around um, in Melbourne. I mean, the last few years, it's really, I mean, as you guys know, it's really blossomed down here. But so I was forced to, um, they'd employed Anya from Ireland. She'd already come over, so it already kind of, um, locked her in. So I had to leave. I had to go up to, there was two jobs on offer at that stage. There was one at Wollongong and there was one at the Sunshine Coast. And I went up and um, took the Sunshine Coast job just in the interim for two months. And kind of the brewery was a, a bit of a mess and um, it's a very hard brewery to work in. It's very badly set up and it's basically a brewery in a space where there shouldn't be a brewery. It's on two levels and it was a bit of a, it, it was it was a difficult brewery to work. But then Scott Hargraves, who was actually now at Stone and Wood, he came, I was there for months and he came with the view that I was, he was at, just had a home brewing background at that stage and I was actually going to teach him how to kind of um, run a commercial brewery. Um, so he came and we worked together for a month and then I left and then I went down to um, Wollongong, uh, formerly Five Islands, now it's actually called Illawarra Brewing. Um, I was there for 20 months doing... Um, so doing my own beers, but also um, uh, doing a lot of contract work as well. So and that, and that was good. That that was a really good experience. I'm not that keen on. I um, mean, first when we got here, Matt asked me about contract, and I said, "Look, I really don't want to do contract." Um, but it was good because you got to see a whole of a lot of different recipes. Some good, some bad. Um, and and in the meantime, I still had my own four or five, six beers that I could do myself. So in that that regard, it was really good, and it was a very busy brewery because. Um, we didn't do any package product. It was all kegs. So we were doing, you know, we are getting through a lot of beers, brewing a lot of beers um, in a year. I think something like, I think I did something like 320 brews in about 20 months. So, you know, that's, that's, that's fair going. You asked me to describe myself as a brewer, like in whether artisan or science-based. Well, actually, Pete Mitchum last year at, um, I think it was a crafty too at Fred Square, described me as um, Bruce Reed of, of brewing. So those who don't know, Bruce Reed was a West Australian swing bowler in, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, I think the... A very good one. Very good very one. Lengthy well, left armour. Left armour. Injury armor. prone. Well, that's the part that I probably wasn't that keen on. He's very, he broke down a lot. So in that regard, he was unreliable. Um, <laughs> but then I, as, a, as a reference, I said, so, okay, so who's Brendan Varris from Ferrell? And he said, oh, well, Pete said, well, he's Shane Warne. He's capable of anything. So... So that that's that's where I suppose that's where I'm at, <laughs> according to Pete as a brewer. <laughs> I, I should I should point out that the, the precursor to that, that that sort of that anecdote came about as a result of um, I, I I often describe beers as you know like a, there's no such thing as a bad beer as far as I'm concerned just just one that you wouldn't order again or or, or one that disappoints yeah. perhaps. <laughs> and then the next the, the next level up, you know, there, there are a lot of really good beers that don't particularly sort of inspire or excite or uh, but they they're just good honest. True to style, they do what they tell you they're going to do, and I describe them as you know ten overs, none for forty. So we got into the whole cricket sort of analogy, and, and he, AG asked me to sort of to, to describe what sort of bowler I, you know, what are his figures like? Because the ten <laughs> overs, none for forty, 
you're always going to keep your spot. You're always going to go back to that, you know, it's, it's reliable and all that sort of thing, but you're never going to win the, the, the trophy for the averages. You're never going to be, you know, the uh, most improved or anything like that. You're always, you know, it's just, it's good, honest toiling. Um, and so I, I said, well, you know, you're a step up from that. Uh, and I said, sometimes it's you know, something a little bit out of the ordinary, not, you don't know what to expect. So to me, that's a that's the that's the left armour coming over the wicket. <laughs> Just keeps keep you on your toes. Oh, but that's good. Nine I, times I, out of ten, yeah. Bruce Reed. I mean, you know, put him on the spot every now and then. <laughs> so that's how it came about. No, I like it. I like it. I probably just like I said, the only part I don't like is the fact that he broke down all the time. I like to think I'm reasonably reliable. <laughs> oh, you know what? Every every metaphor every metaphor has a has a weak point. Yeah. The captain can turn to me and I'll keep coming in and, you know, bending my back and bowling the overs that he requires. So Exactly. You know, yeah. Fair enough. So anyone listening our overseas listeners who have no concept of cricket, um, sorry, can't hold <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it. It probably doesn't translate into anything else. No. So, uh, so you're at Illawarra. Um, how long were you there for? So I was at Illawarra for about 20 months, um, and then I came down and saw Matt in, I think it was March or April of 2010. So this job I heard through word of mouth as this job came up, and someone put my name to Matt. Matt rang me actually when I was on holidays at the time, and so he organised for me to come down, and I was immediately impressed with Matt. He's just a really such a likable guy and very. Um, very capable guy, really good with people, very well organised. You could tell, you know, just from talking to him, his passion for for getting this project or this brewery up and going. So it wasn't a hard decision for me, coupled with the fact that um, I was pretty keen to get back to in and around Melbourne. I mean, I've always I've been a, I'm a Melbourne boy, but I'm actually really happy down here now too. I mean, just a little bit of the sea change is fantastic, which is probably preempted by me being in. Wollongong for 20 months, I think. I just kind of, you know, started to like that lifestyle. So, yeah, so I was 20 months in Illawarra, um, and then I came down here in, I think, June or July of um, 2010, where even in that couple of months, there'd been quite some changes in the brewery. So I was here when the brewery was um, commissioned, and um, all, all the tradies were in and out every day. And it was it was really good to see, like, just the, the morphing of, the, of this empty space into a brewery. And, and like I said, we, we opened on the, as promised by Matt, we opened on the 1st of October with, um, I think it was three beers. So basically, I didn't do any test brewing, just went straight into the into the plant, um, threw caution to the wind, and, and thankfully, the beers turned out pretty good. I mean, you know, they, were, they weren't perfect by any means. But having said that, I mean, the parallel that I did um, has not changed one iota. So from the very first brew, which was the pale to... I think we're doing brew 150 tomorrow. Um, I have not changed the pale recipe at all, so I'm obviously I'm pretty happy with that. And that's our that's our flagship beer. Um, that's the one that sells. That's the one that even today we're struggling to keep up with. I mean we're we've got no kegs in the keg room, and we've got a delivery this afternoon, so we're kegging off. Our mother brewer is kegging off as we speak. So that's the one that's proving to be you know the, the good seller and just a really good seller. Beer. So as this is the first brewery that you've been involved in the actual setup and the startup. What thought processes did you go through when you, uh, you know, settled on your um, you know, a, a launch range of beers? You know, there's a real conflict and a real uh, tension in the craft beer world that you know the beer geeks, the one percenters, want crazy assed moondog type stuff. Um, mm. But then again, breweries that plan to be around for a long time probably need to aim for a wider part of the market, which is the 
you know, good quality, you know, Pilsner or Lager, a pale ale, um, you know, maybe a, a, you know, an Australian ale, that style of thing. What thought process did you go through when you were recommending to Matt what beers they should launch with? Yeah, pardon me, it was interesting. I mean, Matt had a pretty firm belief that the regular beers should be good session, flavoursome sessionable beers, but not really crazy beers. And I'm really comfortable with that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an economic venture as well, so you've got to get bums on seats. And I think your regular beers should have a reasonably wide appeal. So the idea originally actually was to do a pale, a wit, and a brown, and then do a cider as well. So the pale, the wit, the brown are still here. I had a lot of problems with the brown early on, just getting it right. We nearly, I said to Matt, if I can't get this one right, then I think we should move on. Um, I'd done the porter as the first specialty, and we decided if I couldn't get the brown right, we'd just put the porter in as the other other regular beer. Eventually got the brown to a point where I was pretty happy with it. Did some cider trials, um, and I must say, hand on heart, I didn't sabotage the cider trials, but they really were a bit of a disaster. And at that point, Matt thankfully said, well, look, we're not a cider, we're a brewery, so let's just stick to beer. And I was like, hooray. Um, nothing against cider, but I'm not just not that interested in in, in um, brewing cider. I'd rather brew beer, use the tanks for beer. <laughs> uh, and and um, I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that personally, but that's just me again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just there's just the flavour profile you can get in a in a um, in a cider is pretty limited compared to the vast array of flavours and aromas you can get in a beer. So it's just more fun to brew and more interesting, and it, they just don't really interest me. So um, well, we've got just got a local cider in the fridge here at the bar, so. Um, so then the other idea was that we just would do specialties um, the original, originally we would, I was probably doing them every four to six weeks as it turns out now because the pale and even you know the IPA which is kind of a semi-regular so popular it's really hard to, at the moment to get um, more specialties through I'm not doing probably as many as I'd like I tend to have repeated a few like the, the, you've got the three regulars and the porter and the IPA you'd probably say semi-regulars and then the um, the, the Sriracha Kolsch and the Imperial IPA are probably semi semi regulars. So um, you know, if I can get if I can bang out maybe ten, eight to ten um, specialties this year, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I have to say I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the um, the Sriracha Ace. I know that's a it's a very um, not uh, not divisive, but there's certainly uh, there's there's very little middle ground with the with the Sriracha Ace as a as yeah. a hot variety. People either either love it or don't like it at all. Well, I mean, the, the, the reason I brewed the, in the wit beer, I, I'll backtrack. When I came down from Wollongong, I spoke to the guys at Mintani and said, what, you know, what have you got that no one's using or that's different? And they told me they had this Japanese hop called Sriracha Ace, said it's very lemongrassy. I said, okay, well, I might throw a little bit in the wit beer. And you only have to open the bag of uh, Sriracha Ace hops to realize what a unique flavor it is. It's very lemongrassy and it's just a totally unique hop. And I thought, I should be building a beer around this rather than adding it in a wit beer and just, which is you know just a pretty small um, percentage I throw in. Where it's not, I wanted to basically build a, a beer around the hop itself, so that's why I decided to do a Kolsch. Now the Kolsch, Sriracha Kolsch, is, I mean the beer geeks would say it's not really a Kolsch, and, and it's probably not, but we've just stuck with that name. But um, yeah, that I mean I brew that. I probably already brewed that three times over summer because um, it, I, I love it myself and. We don't have any problem um, selling it, you know, to, to pubs in Melbourne and, and, you know, the specialty pubs in Melbourne who all seem to love it as well. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a unique hop and I'll probably the only danger with it is um, I've had another beer brew with it and I think if you're, if you're throwing too much hops at the end, 
it gets this almost custody um, flavour to it, which is pretty unappealing. So I think the only thing with that hop is you've just got to be a bit measured in, in how much you throw in as a finishing hop. But just on that point that you say that it's not quite to the uh, the, the, the Kirsch background, you know, the, 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 the Kirsch style, how important is it to you to adhere strictly to styles? You know, um, there, there are two points of view. Um, I tend to side on the, the basis that if beer is still in, the, in its infancy and if a punter walks in and has tried a, uh, a German Kolsch um, that's come out here or even something like you know, uh, Gage Road's um, Wahoo, which is a very mild uh, Kolsch, um, and suddenly they have something that's completely different to what they expect, they don't have a good guide to uh, order from. Where do you fall in in, in that discussion? I suppose with the regular beers, I want them to be true to style. So the pale, the wit, and the brown, I'm trying to do true to style beers. Um, and even to a, in a sense with the, the porter and the IPAs that I do. Other than that, I mean, I'm not such a. I, I do try to. I do try to brew to style. But if if I, I I turn out a beer and it's I think it's really good and it's not it still doesn't fit those style guidelines, then so be it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna necessarily change it because it's not exactly true to style but with, definitely with the regulars I try and I try to make them true to style now the Kolsch we, we put in the beer awards last year and it didn't even get a medal which it doesn't surprise me because I was actually talking to Matt and I said you know it doesn't really fit the Kolsch style guideline the only other thing to probably throw it in was Australian ale but we thought it's using a Japanese hop for a start so it's not really an Australian mm. ale and, and even one of the judges just further on that one of the judges actually um on it, on it, you get your, your notes back after the beer awards from the from the judges, and one of them on the Kolsch had written um, infection. Now, to me, there was definitely no infection, and I think what he was probably smelling was a, was a hop that he didn't recognise at all, and that was that was his kind of get out. Well, I don't I don't recognise this flavour, therefore it must be an infection. Um, but that's a, beside the point. But we, we kind of threw it into the beer awards, knowing it wasn't true to style, and it didn't get a medal, which didn't surprise me. And actually, I said to Matt, we're not going to put in the beer awards this year because I, I really don't think there's a style for it. Um, but, but it's overhopped for a, for a Kolsch. It's, it's definitely overhopped. It's got too much of a hop presence. So it's, you'd probably, for that one, you'd probably just call it a summer a summer ale, really. Um, but, I mean, true to style, uh, I mean, if you want to do if you want to do pretty well in the beer awards, you, you, you've kind of got to brew true to style. But you look at someone like um, Sean Sher, like up at Murray's and some of the fantastic beers he does, and then... You know, they're, they're hybrids of hybrids of hybrids, a lot of them. So, and, and he does fantastic beers. So, yeah, I haven't really got a really strong, really strong opinion on it, to be honest. I, I just like But they them. also tend not to give them stylistic cues or they, you know, make it very clear that uh, it's uh, influenced by, without calling it, you know, a particular style. And the other thing is I don't think any of their beers would fit within style guidelines. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, what I'm getting at is that's one of the beauties of not brewing to style guidelines because you can, you know, produce beers like him. And the other example would be probably Moondog, who were just, you know, throwing caution to the wind and throwing all number of things in their mash tun and their kettle and producing some really, well, from what I've had so far, have been generally really good beers. I've probably been, I think, one or two hiccups they've had, probably on a technical level. But I mean, I really like what they're doing, the fact that they're just saying, let's just go for it. and and produce some really crazy beers with crazy names. And I think they're really good and refreshing for the industry. And you look at probably the other end of the spectrum, someone like a newbie like Thunder Road, who are putting out 
technically very strong beers that are just incredibly conservatively made. So, I mean, there's, you know, the, and again, which probably would do well technically, but, I mean, you know, are they, are they I've probably got to be a little bit careful what I say, but, I mean, they've, all I say is they've, I think they're very conservatively made beers. Yeah, and this is one of the, again, another one of those tensions that I alluded to at the start. Um, I was really surprised. I had recently had the chance to try the Moondog beers, and for all of the you know, hype and excitement about how out there they were and their crazy names, the beers were, I, I found, really well balanced and you know thoroughly drinkable. They weren't the uh, brew dog tac- tac- tactical nuclear penguin type thing that's you know an experience and not a pleasure. These were they, they were a genuine um, pleasure to drink, um, and you know I, I think that that's fantastic. And but the flip side is their brewery is quite small, um, and I guess you know whether they need the. <laughs> Uh, a lot, a lot of money coming in. I guess that they don't need to move a lot of volume. Um, the flip side is a, a brewery like Thunder Road. They've invested heavily in a big um, brewery, and they're not going to be able to do double IPAs and sell anything near the compa- capacity of the brewery. Um, and you know, I, it, full disclaimer: Thunder Road have uh, sponsored um, Brews News, but at the same time, I think. Anything that adds a little bit of diversity to the beer landscape, even if they're producing beers that are targeted at the mainstream beer drinker, has got to be good for the, you know, beer ecosystem um, and all contribute to adding uh, interest to the, you know, beer landscape. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and it'll be. I think Moondog's going to be a very interesting one to 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 watch over the next few years. What do they keep producing at the volume and, and that they're doing, or do they expand and then? When they do expand, or if they do expand, will that have an impact on the way they go about making their beers in terms of costs and, and time in tank and things like that? So I think they're they're a real they're really a good um, brewery to watch to see how they evolve over the next few years. Whether I think there's probably two paths they can take. It's just be interesting to see what what, what they what they do. We launched this uh, chat. Um Talking about, I was expecting to go through some of the you know, your history first, and uh, we, we started talking about investing um, and the investors for uh, your brewery. Um, I w- might just go back to that now because that, that's when I was going to talk about some of those things. How hard is it? Um, you know, how big an issue uh, in, in the issues that craft breweries face is the level of working capital um, in you know expanding and you know guiding the beers that you make and even you know being around 12 months after you open okay well from the from the smaller scale what probably affects me as the brewer is that matt when i first got he said there'll be no um there'll be no penny pinching in terms of making the beer so i i i draw up a recipe and you know i choose the best malts and the hops and everything that i think is going to suit the beer so in that sense there's no you know Holding my arms back and, and, and holding me back on, on producing a beer. There's no there's no impinging on on costs. Um, on the larger scale, in terms of developing, like I said, I mean the shareholders down here have been fantastic, and that was part of the modus operandi that they were always going to try and expand the brewery. That uh, we're looking already at a, a spot behind us to probably put another warehouse in behind before the end of the year. Um, we've we've invested in another. 20 hectolitre tank. Um, so we've, we've got another one last June um, since the brewery opened and we're getting another one next month. We've got a fresh six-head filler Mahine um, bottling line out there which costs over 100 grand. 
that we um, had put in yesterday and we're going to fire up on Friday. Um, so the idea is that, you know, we're going to expand. Now, whether all shareholders and all businesses would keep wanting to do that, I don't know. And, and, and I'm probably not strong enough financially to, to answer that question, you know, true to its merit. But um, I, I think if you've got investors that are, are pretty open-minded that you just can't stay at the same level, you have to keep buying tanks and expand the business, otherwise you're just going to stagnate, um, then, then you're in a pretty good position. And we, I mean, Mornington certainly is. We're in a position where we can expand and we want to expand. So, and, th- and that makes it interesting. It makes it a, a, a pretty vibrant place to work. Yeah, in. and the, the reason I um, asked that one was because I think at the end of last year there was a bit of a brouhaha about, you know, the definition of craft beer and independence and, you know, uh, the, the, the line being run in some areas of the industry is that, you know, craft brewers are getting screwed over and craft beer is you know, in danger of being... Uh, you know, knocked out by the evil big brewers, but the number of brewers I speak to, I mean, you, you've just outlined a fairly large expansion program. Um, a lot of the mm. craft brewers, in fact, most of the craft brewers I've spoken to are either at um, capacity and you know, aren't necessarily all that interested or able to expand someone like Red Hill, for example, um, or are struggling with uh, mm. trying to expand and, you know, working out how to finance that sort of expansion. Um, well, First part of that is that um, you mentioned Red Hill. I know that Dave and Karen have just um, signed up for a Mahin uh, six-head filler themselves, so they're starting to expand. They've got to a point where they've probably realised that, that you know it's the way to go. Okay, yeah, and that, that wasn't uh, yeah, a criticism of them. Every time I've uh, spoken about it, you know, they, I, I think the footprint that they've got, the development footprint that they've got as part of their licence prohibits them, and you know they seem to be. Um, quite happy at the size that, they, that they're at uh, for the time being. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I wasn't um, tossing off at them about that, but there are some breweries that, you know, aren't anxiously trying to expand and become the biggest, you know, brewery in their state. Um, and a lot of the small breweries yeah. that have started yeah. small seem to be grappling, uh, you know, with expand, how to expand and keep up with the demand for their beers. So Yeah, well, I think, I mean... Get- Getting back to your original point about the definition of a craft brew, I mean, I think that also comes back to these two different, I don't know exactly where it sits at the moment, but the two different um, committees that are, you know, discussing, you know, trying try to get a singular um, committee together that represents craft beer. Do we have Matilda Bay and do we have James Squire as part of that or not? And I think that's interesting. I mean, you, there is, I mean, I'm probably at the belief that do you sit down with these, multinationals that basically are trying to push you out of the market. So, I mean, Matt goes around trying to get taps and they say, no, we're signed up to Lyon Nathan or we're signed up to CUB and, you know, they've they've said they'll put in a new tap system for us if we don't put in any other beers. So, I mean, in that sense, I, I think it's a little bit funny going to the government hat in hand saying, can you help us out with excise and bringing along Matilda Bay and, 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 and James Squire as part of that junket. I, I, I think that's a bit... That there's something a bit contradictory about that. Um, I mean, definition of a craft brewer, craft brewery, I think an independently owned, that's pretty much not a multinational, is a is a can be a craft brewer, and and then you're probably talking about after that the the volume of beer that you're brewing. Oh well, on that note, that's a a nice feisty note to leave it on. One of the reasons we got AG on was to uh, to tell us what he thought. Um, so uh, AG, look, it's been a pleasure to chat. We could easily spend another you know 45 minutes to an hour talking uh, about things but I think we might even get you on because um, you've raised an issue at the end there that I think uh, is worthy of an episode all by itself 
um, and we might even uh, thrash it. Or a, or, or a cage match. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I think you can have a robust discussion without actually gouging each other's eye, eye out. Yeah, totally. But anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. AG, look, thank you uh, very much for taking the time to join Radio Brews News. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, uh, I, I, I still haven't been down to uh, MP yet, so hopefully I'll get down there very soon and uh, have a beer with you in, in, in your own domain. Uh, sounds fantastic. Now, that's my, my chance for a little plug. We've got a beautiful beer garden here. We've got wood-fired pizza oven. We've got um, what I think are pretty good beers. So, yeah, come down, Matt. Good to chat to you, AG. Thank, thanks, AG. Thanks, and, mate, I'll, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right, lovely. And, yes, I probably don't need to say that was Andrew Gow, AG from Mornington Brewery. Prof, well done uh, getting AG on. That was a really interesting interview. Yeah, yeah so we've, we've had quite a few chats over quite a few beers uh, over the last few years, and, and particularly since he's been uh, back in town. He, he also didn't mention that uh, for a couple of years, uh, from its inception up at the local tap house in Darlinghurst, he was also the, uh, the Ale Stars R. So he was the, he was the host of, of, uh, of Ale Stars while he was up in New South Wales. Um, but yeah, look, a great bloke to have a beer with. Very passionate, uh, very down to earth. He actively sort of seeks an opinion. So rather than saying, oh, this, 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 and this, he'll say, listen, you've just had that beer. What did you think of it? Or, you know, what do you think um, uh, qualifies something to be a pilsner, for example? Or, you know, we've, we've had lots of discussions like that. And it's, he's very interested to sort of get the, if you like, the man on the street, uh, person on the street uh, opinion. Um, and that all, I guess, goes to uh, making up, you know, his, his brewing sort of style. Uh, and I think MP Brewing is in for a very good time down there, as particularly as the area expands. For those who don't know, it's sort of on the, um, the, the Mornington is the start of the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, it's still probably almost rural or, or regional, I should say. Um, but it's also fast creeping up on becoming sort of uh, kind of outer suburban. So the next few years, we'll see a population growth down there because a lot of the old older places that were um you know holiday you know sort of seaside towns and now sort of becoming permanent uh, resident uh and, and younger families moving down that way rather than just you know retirement people and uh and holiday houses so uh, it's all it's all set up pretty well it, it was interesting too to, to hear him sort of talk about things like expansion and um you know the different business models that that breweries can use and that sort of thing at the end of the day it's you know what's in the bottle i think is um yeah well it, it, it is down to. you know that that was that's one of the topics I like to talk about because when you're sitting um, in internet chat rooms and beer advocate has been a bit of a topic um, on Brews News lately, but it's it's very easy to sit there when you're just a punter at home wanting to get every beer in Australia delivered to your door or you know at your local bottle shop. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of issues behind that, um, and even you know, and, and that's why the contract issue is is a good one. And we we didn't pick him up at the end, but. Um, it's an issue that I will keep coming back to and will be a constant thread because, you know, punters want to get every beer. Um, brewers obviously want to stay in business, but, you know, publicans are in uh, in business too. And, uh, you know, a lot of publicans I speak to would love to get craft beer on, but they can't always, uh, you know, they don't necessarily want to deal or have the time to deal with eight different breweries yeah. to have eight yeah. different craft beers on. And, uh, you know, there's, I've said it before, and I don't mean to, to bag craft beer, but there's a lot of craft beer um, from small little breweries who I love and who I love to drink fresh that doesn't travel pretty well. And, yeah. you know, we, we as, a, as a hospitality industry, a lot of hotels aren't set up to, you know, store beer, even for a short period, um, cold. And 
craft beer needs that. So yeah, there's there's a lot going, and it was great to have it to touch on some of those topics. But we might even mm. get AG back and uh, with a couple of others to talk about some of that. So it's anyway, certainly mate, yeah. We've, uh, yeah. It would make a good roundtable discussion. Yeah. Um, now we might uh, strike up the band and head out of here. It's uh, it's been a long chat um, today, so we might uh, get going now. Just a reminder to listeners. If you've got this, you probably have already changed your subscription, but uh, head over to Brews News, and you, if you subscribe through iTunes, you might need to uh, just uh, update that because we have changed servers. Prof, always a pleasure to chat to you. Um, now, next Thank week, uh, when this goes out, uh, will be just before the launch of Matilda Bay's new beer, so you and I will actually get to uh, catch up for a beer, and uh, next episode we'll be able to talk about having a beer together. Yeah, it'll be good. Looking forward to it. Right, let's strike up the band and uh, here comes slide Sam. on out of here. Good to be back in regular. Yeah, there's some pressure on you. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Prof. Take care, listeners. We'll see you Thanks, Cheers. Cheers.